Our episodes contain graphic information that may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Would you like some murder with your coffee? Welcome to Morning Murders. I'm Nicole. I'm Amanda. And I'm Brenna. We're just three gals that like to sit around, drink coffee, and talk about true crime. True crime. True crime on your radio. And murder. And coffee. And coffee. Obviously. Can you tell? We're highly caffeinated. Ah, yes. Shout out to everyone helping us out on, what is it? Coffee? Coffee. Coffee. Yeah. Thanks. Yes. Oh my goodness. Luke. Luke. Just calling out Luke. Luke, shout out. Thank you for supporting us. Yes. Kofi. And speaking of Kofi, today we are highly caffeinated. Thank you again, Dutch Brothers. Dutch Brothers. And for Nicole for bringing us Dutch Brothers. Thank you. Always the elixir of life. Cheers, Cheers. ladies. Coffee witch. Cheers to the coffee Coffee witch. Oh, I'm a coffee witch. Mm -hmm. Into our beans. It's our beans. That's you. Uh, If you you were there for that. Beans. That's all you out there. We love all you little beans. Beanie babies. Okay, well, ladies and beans. (laughs) Listeners. Yeah. In lieu of the spooky season, I thought it was time to talk about an individual that haunted many folks and was a person many parents would use to warn their kids about when talking to strangers. I mean, my dad sure did. So, ladies, listeners, this might be a silly question, but have you ever heard of Ted Bundy? guy that was uh, married to Peggy and they had two kids. Um, yeah. Uh, no. Love no. and marriage. Love and marriage. I think it's Al Bundy. Oh. oh. <laughs> Alright, then what? Who? Who, who? who is this strange person? Is this not a love and marriage podcast where we a married with children podcast where we That's the spinoff. Every, you know, we do episode. talk about some marriage and children, but also <gasps> yeah. involving murders. Oh. oh. <laughs> You guys were watching a different Married with Children. Yeah, I guess. yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Mary, we were watching Married with Live Children. Uh, this is Married with Dead Children. Uh, dead Children. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> Anyways, all right. So Theodore Robert Bundy, a man who one could say achieved a lot before he was thirty-two years old. I mean, he'd already escaped prison twice by the time he was thirty-one. Hey. I know. Uh, but before I get too ahead of myself, let's go back to the beginning. The part most folks don't really talk about. So, Bundy was born on November 24th, 1946. His mother had become pregnant at a very young age. At the time, and even still in some states, it was super frowned upon. I mean, she was young, not married. What were her parents to do but to send her away until the baby had been born? So Ted was born in Burlington, Vermont at the Elizabeth Lund Home for Unwed Mothers. Even still, there is no real record of who Ted's father was. The birth certificate said Lloyd Marshall, but his mother later would tell him that he was conceived after she was seduced by a veteran named Jack Worthington. Though there was also suspicion that maybe her violent and abusive father, Samuel Cowell, might have been his dad. That was not confirmed either. I know, uncomfortable. Um, but again, there is no real fact on the matter of who his father was. He was, however, raised by his grandparents and uh, thought that his mother, Louise Cowell, was his older sister. And it wasn't until later in life that the truth came to surface. There are some Bundy biographers that believe Ted was in high school when he found out, but Anne Rule, who wrote the book The Stranger Beside Me, which I will talk more about in a moment, uh, she said that it was in college, shortly after the love of his life broke his heart. It was 1969 and Ted was dumped by Stephanie Brooks, and a lot of people seem to think that that was a major trigger. Hmm. Something I also learned while I was researching all this stuff, the more I read, the more I watch, a lot of the names are pseudonyms. Um, It's not something I really thought too much about, but like Stephanie Brooks and even Meg aren't their real names. Um, Elizabeth Kendall, Meg, did release a book called The Phantom Prince, which I have just recently started, and it's incredible. Oh, wow. Uh, Yeah, it inspired the Netflix series Ted Bundy Falling for a Killer, which if you haven't seen it yet, go check it out. Anyways, I digress. I didn't even realize that they were pseudonyms. I guess I never thought about that, that like... How many times have we talked about people that don't, they're just unnamed or something, mm-hmm. and we're like, oh, it, it it keeps their privacy or whatever. I've never even thought about, like, the people that, these they say their names all the time, and yet they're not, 
real because they're protecting their identity. Yeah. Kind of like yeah. Mary Vincent. That reminds me a lot of that, where it's like, just don't, no, don't find right. her. Just leave, leave her alone. alone. Yeah. yeah. You yeah. don't need to know her real new name. Well, even if you, if you watch Forensic Files, if you look and wait till the end, it says that the names have been changed. Oh, cool. Yeah, which uh. I didn't really, like, think too much about. Because I'm like, why would they be fake names? Oh, I guess they... Yeah, okay. Fake names make sense. Yeah, yeah so they're all, like, pseudonyms. people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just slightly different. Interesting. Yeah. Anyways, back to the childhood of a monster. Mm. Uh, it was mentioned that when he was three years old, he started to show interest in knives. But, I mean, like, hey, they're shiny, right? So, who knows? Three. Three years old. Uh, you know, isn't there like a movie where they have like the baby thing on top of the crib is like all nice? Is that like Adam's family? I think I was just going to say I'm fairly certain that is in the Adam's family. Yeah, Adam's family. family I like those knives. He's got the little mustache, right? Yes. (laughs) It's just like baby Bundy. Is that family values when they have a baby? I think it might be. I don't know. (laughs) Inspired by baby Bundy. Da-da-da-da. Bundy. (laughs) (laughs) So Bundy and his mom who he still thought was his sister at this time, lived in Philly for the first years of his childhood. In 1950, they moved to Tacoma, Washington, to live with some relatives. It was while they were there that Luis changed Bundy's surname from Cowell to Nelson. Then about a year after the move, in 1951, she met Johnny Culpepper, wait for it, Bundy! Ah, and it was said that they met at a singles night at Tacoma's first Methodist church. It was a fast and furious kind of love, and they were married by May of the same year. Johnny adopted Ted, and thus was the birth of the famous name Ted Bundy. Okay. Johnny. Okay. Johnny. Uh, So Ted did get some brothers and sisters after everything went down. He would help out by babysitting, he played with his siblings, but he was a very detached and shy child, and even though Johnny tried to make an effort to bring him out to things, Ted kept to himself and was still really distant from his stepfather. No father-son camping trips for these two. And though Bundy was shy and quiet, he was a really good student. He attended Woodrow Wilson High School in Tacoma and was pretty active at the church. He took an interest in politics at a young age. He became the vice president of the Methodist Church, and he was involved in the Boy Scouts of America. So no camping with Johnny, just a bunch of other kids and random adults. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Not you, Dad. Uh, <laughs> not you. No, not camp you. with some other random strange dude. <laughs> yeah. Uh, burn. Fucking <laughs> burn. Uh, Bundy was shy and socially awkward all the way to high school and even a bit into college. Um, I find that all very interesting because he takes such a turn when it comes to his victims later on. He was able to put on this charismatic character that almost seduced and trapped his prey. But in high school, he was, uh, he was said to have hit a wall. He didn't understand basic social ideas. He said in an interview that, I didn't know what made people tick. I didn't know what made people want to be friends. I didn't know what made people attracted to one another. I didn't know what underlay social interactions. It is said, too, that he was quite the uh, peeping Tom, and he would look into folks' windows and stole a lot of stuff just for funsies. Uh, yeah, I was just like, I'm going to take this. Uh, when he later developed a love for skiing, he would like take skis and forge lift tickets so he could partake in the activity. He did get caught and went to juvie twice, but it was all expunged. For skiing? For skiing. For skiing. He did love those skis. I don't want to get too far ahead of my... The only thing that I know about... Bundy that's like stayed in my mind is uh, watching like the one I've only been able to watch the confession tapes thing like mm-hmm. one time through and the only thing that sticks in my head about that is when um, he's like it's like his tape of going like I was popular in high school I was pretty cool I made a lot of friends and then it like smash cuts to somebody that went to high school with him they're like he was a weirdo nobody liked him <laughs> Like, it's like, that's like the one thing that sticks in my mind of like, what a psychopath. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> he had no idea. In college, I think he did get more well-liked, but high school, definitely a weirdo. Yeah. Definitely. It was pretty cool. It was popular that it's a person that like went to school with him going like, no one, lo- he was weird. No. Yeah. He was a weirdo. Um, he ended up graduating in 1965 and he was even awarded a scholarship by UPS. Not the United Postal Service. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> cool. It was the University of Puget. I think that's how you say it. My mom was trying to tell me how to say it because she knew. Sound. And Puget? It's like the Puget sound? Puget? 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 I think mm. that's it. I don't know, but I know a listener's going to write to us and you, tell my us. My mom's going to be like, I told you how to pronounce that. <laughs> Sorry, mom. <laughs> uh, All words are made up. Anyway. You, it's true. Shakespeare. <laughs> University of Puget Sound, possibly. Uh, it is, it's in Tacoma, Washington, and they are... <laughs> 
They are living the logger life. I like looked up. Hell the, yeah. I was looking into the school because I was curious. And it's ranked among the top liberal arts colleges by a few places. Um, two that were mentioned were the U.S. News and World Report and the Princeton Review. Uh, the campus looks super green and pretty. Um, I guess it's Washington, though. I've never been to Washington, but I've heard it's very green. Green and a lot of tossed salad and scrambled eggs. Oh, yeah? They call it again. <laughs> Seattle. Right. Seattle! <laughs> Seattle! <laughs> oh. I love Frazier. Okay, go ahead. Frazier. Get out of here, Frazier. No, Frazier's good. Yeah. Uh, so Ted started there at the fall, and he began taking courses in psychology and oriental studies. He transferred to Seattle, though, um, oh. after two semesters. I guess he wasn't loving the logger life. Uh, he switched over to Seattle University of Washington, UW. Their website was a lot more purple, <laughs> and the big thing seems to be hashtag be boundless. Whether that's oh. their new slogan or not, I'm not sure, but uh, I just briefly like, looked Did over the site. Did he bind his victim? No, but he was boundless. Like, he, uh, <laughs> nothing let him, nothing stopped him. No borders, <laughs> the word no, no jails, nothing stopped Ted. That's true, <laughs> you're right. He was Ain't nothing going to keep Ted down. Oh, he, be Ain't boundless. Nothing going to keep Ted down. Nope. Ain't nothing going to hold Ted down. <laughs> oh, 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 he's got to keep on murdering. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, he was a lot like every other college student. He had a job working at a grocery store. He was a bagger and a shelf stalker. Stalker. Hey. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> and he did other odd jobs. I get it. The hustler life. Um, uh, here is where some fun elements get added, though. So, as part of his work study for his psychology course, he started volunteering his late nights to Seattle's suicide hotline. And that is where he met Anne Rule. Woo! I love me some Anne Rule. Why She's... didn't you marry her? Oh, I can't. Aww. I don't know her personally. Aww. Because Aww. Of... I can I can marry you. You could. I you know. both could so marry her. Yeah. Oh my god. We could, could marry both marry Anne you. She's so cool. She's such a badass. Like, so she used to be a Seattle policewoman. Then she became a super incredible crime writer. I've got a few of her books. Uh, she worked on movies. She's just a super awesome gal. She lived in weird ass apartments, like during jobs or like move around. She followed her cop friends during cases. She still found time to take care of her kids. She stayed friends with her ex-husband before he died. Like, there's all this awesome stuff about her. And um, her book, The Stranger Beside Me, is incredible. It's really neat, too, because she's gone back and added updates as the years went by. And when she first started the book, Ted was still in jail awaiting execution, oh. trial even. And then uh, she does all these updates as the process kind of takes place and, like, all of that, um, as all of that goes down. He would write her letters. They would talk on the phone. It's super interesting. And uh, for the first long time during the beginning of the murders, she was following her cop friends on the case, not knowing that it was her Ted. Oh my god. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. And then she starts kind of piecing things together and she's like, well, maybe I might be my Ted. But it took a bit before she finally came to terms that that was the Ted. Um, she was volunteering with. Yeah. She was, yeah, because they had worked together. Then yes. he left and they didn't work together for a couple years. But then all this started happening and she was following her cop friends around on this case of these women that were getting murdered. Mm, and right. as the description started coming out and the name Ted got mentioned, she didn't click at first that it was the same Ted. Well, you just, you don't assume. Mm -mm. You're like, no, of course, not mine. Not mm -mm. It's got to be somebody else. It's got to be someone different. So I, I totally get why it took a second to go like, Oh, Ted. Yeah. Oh, mm, mm. Ted. <laughs> yeah, and even while he was, like, in jail and they were writing each other and, like, he'd call her on the phone, she still wasn't convinced fully that he was guilty because he was saying he was innocent the whole time. And then she started going, I don't think you are innocent. But she would never say it to his face. She wanted him to tell her. Right. Mm. Yeah, it's really interesting to kind of see that perspective of stuff, like, just knowing someone so well and they're being accused of all these murders. Well, and he also was a master of manipulation, too. So that's how he got along is what he said at the very beginning. He didn't know how to connect with people, so he had to fake it. So mm -hmm. that's his version. He can fake it in front of anybody. But mm -hmm. when it comes to action, gotta murder instead. Gotta murder gotta instead. Murder. Just gotta. <laughs> anyway, back to the deets. So Ted helped stop people from killing themselves, even though he, in fact, went on to kill dozens of ladies. Anne and Ted had stations next to each other, and she remembered many long nights with the two of them just saving people or chatting. Or it's just crazy to think about. They're just hanging out, telling people not to kill themselves. Just It's just crazy to think about all of that. I wonder what he feels about the leave a penny, take a penny thing. That's at gas stations. 
<laughs> where there's like a tiny little dish next to the, di- the, the you know, wherever you swipe your card, it's a tiny little dish and it says leave a penny or take a penny. Yeah. So if you get like an extra penny, you can be like, ah, screw it. And then if you need an extra penny for whatever reason, you can just take it. And so that's probably what he thought about murder. Uh, kill a lady, save a lady. <laughs> See, and I was like, you know, you'd think that he'd be like, well, these people want to commit suicide, and I'm going to go find them and help them out. out. But that's not the turn it took. No, not. no, he's very specific type, and only every once in a while did he veer off of that specific type. Mm. Um, but we'll get to that. So, and here comes the kind of something about that. So, also, another major player showed up during his college days, Stephanie Brooks, the love of his life at least at the time. They dated during college, and she broke his heart. They met in 1967, and by 1968, she was graduating and went back to Cali to be with her family. Her parting gift to Ted was dumping him and telling him that he was not mature or ambitious. Yikes. I'll show you ambition. (laughs) Yeah. Just wait. So in his sadness and newfound identity crisis, he went to Vermont and tried to dig up old wounds and look into his family. And that's when Anne says he realized for sure, for sure, that his big sister, Louise, was actually his mommy dearest. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. All of this was a recipe for a change for Ted. He suddenly became more focused and dominant. He took charge in a lot of new ways. He stepped up and started managing the Seattle office of Nelson Rockefeller's presidential campaign. He attended the Republican convention in good old Florida as a Rockefeller supporter. Rockefeller was up against Nixon and Reagan at the time. Rockefeller kind of like was playing hard to get during his campaign. He'd be like, yeah, I'm running. No, I'm not. Yeah, I'm running. No, I'm not. Okay, I'm running. But he <laughs> totally what lost to Nixon. Yeah, I know. What a tease. But he lost to Nixon on the first ballot. But Ted was there to support him. So he re-enrolled at UW. He took some time to grow and better himself, and now it was back to the books. This time, he decided to major in psychology, just psychology. He moved on up as an honor student. He began to schmooze with professors, and he became very well-liked. The famous Bundy charisma was peeking through more now. And in 1969, nice, uh, he started dating Elizabeth. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I wrote in nice. (laughs) Nice. Oh uh, <laughs> just a bunch of 12-year-old brothers yeah. with the podcast. Yeah. Brothers. Brothers. Nice. Uh, so he started dating Elizabeth uh, Clofer, Clofer, or Elizabeth Kendall, or Meg, depending on where you read about her. This woman is incredible. To go through everything she did is just insane. And she had a daughter, too. Her daughter went through all this with her. Years of this unknown madness, and he even tried to kill her once without her even knowing until, oh like, way later. God. <gasps> mm-hmm. Crazy. She was a secretary at the University of Washington Medical School. She was divorced, insecure, a single mom, and she was struggling with alcoholism when she took on this new chapter. Um, It was also just a matter of chance that they happened to meet. She had gone out with some friends. They convinced her to call a babysitter on this particular night and just come out with them. Come out. Come hang out with us. And she did. And that's when Ted entered her life and stayed there in some way, shape, or form forever. She had seen him sitting alone and looking sad, and she walked up to him and said, you look like your best friend just died. And they instantly connected and started dating right away. In her book, she said, I handed Ted my life and said, here, take care of me. He did in a lot of ways, but I became more and more dependent upon him. When I felt his love, I was on top of the world. When I felt nothing from Ted, I felt that I was nothing. I mean, how heartbreaking is that to feel that way? I mean, I'm still reading her book, but that was a, there was like an article about her book in the Netflix series on biography.com. So she talked about her book and I just stumbled upon this like really neat quote of hers. And it just really made me sad to think like that's how she felt for so many years with Ted. And he really just strung her along. It's just super awful. Um, She was also one of the people that called in a tip about Ted. Uh, Her friend had really pushed her to do it. But it was this tip that really set things into motion Eventually. At first, the cops didn't even think twice about it. They didn't think he was a suspect, so she stayed with him and never told him that she'd called the cops on him. Oh. Yeah. So, yeah. He didn't know that she called the cops. She didn't know that he tried to kill her at one point. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, balance. 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 I wanted to go back to, I think it's very interesting how, I think... I hear a lot of those stories about people that date people that either manipulated them Mm -hmm. or took advantage of them and that kind of thing. And I think we've all, to some degree, have been through that kind of experience before. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's, it's funny, something that comes up a lot is people say, like, those kind of sociopathic manipulative people, um find you if you're a nice person. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, the truth is they do it 
to everybody. Like mm-hmm. if it helps, I know I know we like to feel special, and but we are special in a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, they are people that will take advantage of everybody that they see. It's just the people like us or like you know her that will stick around. Yeah, that won't go get out of here with that bullshit. You know, mm-hmm. like it's so those people like Ted would have done it to anybody. It just was unfortunate that it was with somebody that was willing to stick around throughout it, you know? Yeah, well, and this will come later, but a lot of his victims fit the same thing, too. Like, they had got into a fight that week with their boyfriend. Something happened with their parents. Like, a lot of the women, something had just horrible happened to them like a big fight or something before he finds them well yeah he was preying on that absolutely well, it makes me wonder how many people he tried that one get out of here like i don't like you you go away or like like didn't give him energy because they just are living their lives like because mm-hmm. you how many people do we interact with on a daily basis a weekly basis a monthly basis so how many people in his life including kind of like the girl in school that was like, no, he's a weirdo. Like, how how many times do these things happen that, like, they didn't get reported because nothing happened to them? Or yeah. they called in a tip because they were like, yeah, that guy was weird. <laughs> yeah, well, in so in Anne Rule's book, in the newest copy that has come out, in the beginning she does a, a major, like, update, and a lot of women have written to her mm. and talked about how they think they interacted with Ted. Like, I remember this being Ted. This is what happened. This is this. This is that. This is how I, you know, this is the red flag I saw. So it's pretty interesting to read the beginning of the book and kind of some of the people that have written to her with these these possible interactions with Ted. Yeah, because for everyone that you manipulate, there's like three people that were like, no. Right. (laughs) Or like, or like didn't even, didn't, it didn't, it just didn't stick, you know? They were like, ah, cool, bye, and like moved on with our lives. Yeah. But for every one person, there's like a few people that... That didn't happen to you, so I'm interested in that. In our in my next segment, there is a pretty cool story, and I know Amanda, you'll particularly like it because it's a survivor story and like kind of how the red flags she picked up mm. on, but what she still did, like what she's how long she still stayed before she was like ah, and like ran away and finally got away. But so that'll come multi-part next time. Episodes. Yes, multi-part <laughs> so episode, guys. Spoiler. <laughs> okay, so uh, Bundy got his degree in psychology from UW in 1972. And he went back to working for the Republican Party. He became really good friends with Governor Daniel J. Evans. Uh, Bundy would do some sneaky work for him. Nothing too crazy, though. He just would follow Daniel's uh, Democratic opponents and would tape their speeches. And then he would go back and report to him personally. Which I just find really funny. And he would, like, pose as a cool college kid while he was, like, going to these conventions and things. But eventually, of course, the Democrats found out what he was doing, and there was some drama that happened. Ooh, scandal. (laughs) Um, After all of this, uh, Bundy started to have dreams of being a lawyer, which will play a major part in his future choices. So in 1973, Ted went to Utah to chase his dreams. He started law school at the University of Utah. He did apply in 1972, but he was rejected. Then with a push from his girlfriend, Liz, he went and tried again. But this time, he got his old professors to write letters for him, like letters of recommendation, and he even had his new best bud, Governor Daniel Evans, write for him. Um, Ted's postgraduate employment was listed as follows, thanks to Anne Rule's book, The Stranger Beside Me. <clears throat> and if you'd like to follow along, it starts at the bottom of page 37. And if you don't own the book yet, listen to this, then go get it, and then come back and listen to this moment again. <clears throat> We're going on the list? We're going on the <laughs> yes, list. Yes, I love a list. Lo- I right. love a good list. Let's do it. So, criminal corrections consultant, January 1973. Currently retained by the King County Office of Law and Justice Planning to identify recidivism rates for officers who have been found guilty of misdemeanors and gross misdemeanors in the 12 county district courts. The purpose of the study is to determine the nature and number of offenses committed subsequent to a conviction in district court. Crime Commission Assistant Director, October 1972 to January 1973. An assistant to the director of the Seattle Crime Prevention Commission suggested and did the preliminary investigation for the commission's investigations into assaults against women. The irony. Uh, uh Uh-huh. And white-collar economic crime. Wrote press releases, speeches, and newspaper articles for the commission. Participated exclusively in the planning of the commission's activities for 1973. Psychiatric counselor, June 1972 to September 1972. Carried a full caseload of 12 clients during the four-month internship in Harborview Hospital's outpatient clinic, held periodic sessions with clients, 
entered progress reports and hospital charts, continually reevaluated psychiatric diagnosis, and referred clients to physicians for medical and psychotherapeutic medication evaluations. Participated in numerous training sessions conducted by staff psychiatrists. <laughs> so I'm just thinking about all of the healthcare professionals and like therapists that I've come across in my life, and I'm now wondering how many are murderers. Right. How nuts! How Do you nuts? guys know that there are flight attendants that believe the Earth is flat? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> just throwing that thought experiment out there oh, with that note. Man. So just, what I learned from that was trust no one. Trust no one. Credentials only mean, you know, enough if the person also matches the credentials, I right? Know. Like anyone can go to school. Yeah. I can't imagine being like, oh yeah, Ted was my psychiatric counselor. Like, that's what I'm saying. Why? I'm also wondering, I thought you were going to, Amanda, I thought you were going to say how many of the, the medical professionals, psychiatric professionals were like, oh man, we let that one slip, didn't we? <laughs> that one slipped. Whoops. Oops. Like, how many Oops. people? Oops. That one, you know what? That one was my bad. My bad. Sorry. My bad. Guys, Sorry, guys. I Sorry, turned docs. around. Didn't have coffee that day. Got Ooh, distracted. I got yeah. that, that unibrow just, like, sucked me <laughs> in. You didn't always in. have a unibrow. That was just one of the... But Anyways. why not? But <laughs> why not? <laughs> why not the unibrow? Oh, my yeah, God. It's difficult for me to wrap my head around all of this. I mean, I still go back to the fact that he volunteered a suicide prevention hotline. He helped a bunch of people and murdered a bunch of people. I mean, he played God. Like, that's what he did. Mm -hmm. He decided who got to live and who got to die. Like, it's just, it's just insane. It's like he wanted to have it both ways. Yeah. You know, he's like, I want to be the problem, but also the solution. Yeah. He didn't think he could do any wrong. He was okay doing all of this stuff. And a lot of it did stem from a mental illness, which didn't come out until later. Um, but that's something that we'll talk about down the line. Because um, nobody talked about it. Nobody looked into it at the time. It wasn't until during trial where he finally met with some psychiatrists mm. or psychologists. And that's when they start going, oh, he's got this. He has this. And he's like, no, I don't. But like, he should have never represented himself in court. All this stuff shouldn't have happened because he was not properly diagnosed. Mm. Anyways. Mm. So, not only did Ted have all those recommendation letters and this rather detailed resume, he also wrote his own letter Again, if you have the book, pick it back up. Oh this God. letter is on page 38, thanks to Anne. <clears throat> oh my God, here it comes. I apply to law school because my professional and community activities demand a daily knowledge of the law I do not have. Whether I am studying the behavior of criminal offenders, <laughs> foreshadowing for yourself, examining bills before the legislator, advocating court reforms, or contemplating the creation of my own corporation, I immediately become conscious of my limited understanding of the law. My lifestyle requires that I obtain a knowledge of the law mm. and, the, <laughs> and the ability to practice legal skills. I intend to be my own man. And spoilers, your own lawyer. Oh my god. It's that simple. I could go on at great length to explain that the practice of law is a lifelong goal, or that I do not have great expectations that a law degree is a guarantee of wealth and prestige. The important factor, however, is that law fulfills a functional need which my daily routine has forced me to recognize. Because mm. <laughs> I need... Okay, like, finish. I have so much to say. Okay. I apply to law school because this institution will give me the tools to become a more effective actor mm. in the social mm. role I have defined for myself. TRB. Okay, now I'd like you to, um, uh, I'm going to give you a note. I'd like you to read that again, Nicole. Great, great, great. But anywhere where it says, I'd like a law degree, I'd like you to change it out and say full-on murderer and rapist. Like, full we just, because and I'm rapist. pretty sure it would still work. Oh, I think so. Right, because that's basically oh. what he's saying is like, I would just really like to know how to get away with, with this. With my lifestyle. Oh, yeah. My lifestyle. my lifestyle of murdering women means <laughs> I, that I should be better at knowing how to get away with it. Yeah. The last line is my favorite when he, because will give me the tools to become a more effective actor in the social role I have defined for myself. Yeah, he made it up. He's wow. played God, like oh you said. God. Which he, is God. That's so... Oh mm -hmm. God. Ah! I know. to be that... I mean, I guess, okay, you have to be, you almost have to start being delusional whenever you write, like, cover letters for yourself and shit oh, yeah. like that. Like, you have to, because you're selling yourself, right? So this isn't, I can imagine why if people are reading letters like this all day, they wouldn't think anything of it. But just with the rest of his history, you're like, exactly what Amanda said. Right. He's yeah. literally just saying, how do I learn how to do this because of my lifestyle? Like, why is your lifestyle brought into this at all? 
yeah, murdering well, people. I, his, his, on paper, he looks great because if you're just reading it, his lifestyle is the Republican Party that mm, he works right, for, right, right. you know, like the uh, the school, the psychology, all that stuff that he's been majoring in, like that's what he looks like on paper. Mm-hmm. If you don't know him or know what his record's about to this be. like. like a manipulation inside a manipulation. Mm-hmm. I don't like, think he even really fully believes that he's manipulating. Right, absolutely Right, not. that's what absolutely I'm saying. Not. We're that's just, the we mental have issues. Hindsight. We have hindsight yes. in the, when we're looking at this. Yeah. Because at the time, I'm sure, consciously, he wasn't like, because I'm gonna murder. Because yeah, you don't know until you're like, well, this, yeah, I think I'm gonna do this now. <laughs> like, yeah. So yeah, that's gotta everything be, leads to something else. He's laying down the groundwork for it. Yeah, and I mean, again, it's gonna come back to mental illness that we'll talk about later. But yeah, mm-hmm. he just completely unaware of what was going on because he just didn't think anything of it. Mm. Uh, now, after all that, Ted was accepted, but he didn't start school right away. He actually had said he couldn't attend because he'd been in a severe car accident. He'd been hospitalized. Part of that was true. He'd been in an accident, but it was a minor one, and he'd wrecked Liz's car. But aside from that, the reason behind postponing his start to his dream career as a lawyer is a mystery. So fall 1973, he started law school. The University of Utah was filled with new opportunities, knowledge, interesting people, everything you could ask for. My dad knows a lot about this place, actually, if you ever have any questions. Ted, however, probably didn't, because <laughs> he did extremely poorly while he attended. He missed classes, failed assignments, and it was so bad that he ended up dropping out in the spring of 1974. So much for that lawyer life. Aw, Ted, don't worry. You'll get back to them law books soon enough. <laughs> was it all the skiing that they have in Utah? All that skiing. Was he, he was just like, I, I can't go to school. I Wait, gotta ski. I gotta he, ski. Was he actually people. skiing or was he just doing some snow? <laughs> <laughs> Ted Bundy uh, His whole life is a metaphor, right? Yeah, like law, I'm a, I'm a law, I got a law degree. I got a degree of murdering people. Yeah. I ski. I do a lot of cocaine. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, before we move too far ahead, I should mention that in the summer of 1973, a blast from the past pops up. On a business trip to California, Ted ran into his college love, Stephanie Brooks. Uh However, this was truly one of those moments that we all want to have with our exes. You know, the one where you're like, at your best possible self, and you're like, look at what you missed out on, you jerky jerk jerk, I'm hot AF. Well, that was Ted's moment. He was now successful, ambitious, charming, smart, dressed a little better, fixed his hair more, and he was a new and improved model. And Stephanie fell right into his hands. They started dating again, and they were even engaged shortly after that. Oh, but he was uh, still dating Liz at the time, and uh, neither gal knew about each other. Oops. Uh Right after Stephanie accepted his marriage proposal, two weeks after, to be more specific, in 1974, right after New Year's, he broke it off with her and left. He stopped answering her phone calls entirely. He got his. Oh, he was like ultimate payback. He just did it to fuck with her. Oh, yeah. I was oh, going to yeah. say, like, if you get engaged that fast and then you break up with them, you're just mm-hmm. you're just putting them in your hand and then cutting them down. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. I'm God around here. Yep, yep, yep. That's yep. what he was saying. Me, me, God, me. Yep. And then he started murdering people. Oh, or so people thought. Oh. Um, to take it back a bit, on June 23rd, 1965, while Ted was attending UPS, it is suspected that he murdered Lori Tumble and seriously injured her roommate, Lisa Wick, in Seattle. Um, on November 25th, 1973, uh, Kathy Devine was abducted in Seattle just off the street. Then, in December 6th, 1973, her body is found near Olympia. Ted was the prime suspect for this case until 2002. A DNA match uh, that came out almost 30 years later proved that it was William E. Costell Jr., Mm. who was in fact guilty. That didn't come out or come to light until after Ted's execution. I just thought that was pretty crazy. Also, just goes to show that new evidence can pop up at any time. And yes, Ted had many other victims tied to him directly, but there are people on death row that shouldn't be, and sometimes... It also doesn't come to light until it's too late because right. that just happened too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, didn't he, didn't, uh, I feel like that's a thing that happens sometimes where if there's like a swath of murders, there's a murder of murders if we're talking about crows or something yeah, here. A murder of murders. Um, <laughs> then, then, uh, sometimes they will get 
blamed for other murders that oh, yeah. happened in the same area, not just because they have evidence against them, but because they just want the case to be quote unquote solved. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, I'm going to yeah. talk about um, not the Kathy one, but to go into the other one that he's suspected of. There is pretty good reason yeah. why he's suspected of that one, mm-hmm. and also why he isn't. So that we'll talk about that one. But you're right. Like that is what happens mm-hmm. when you're like, well, this person did all these things. Why not this one too? We'll just tack that one on there. Yeah, he was in the area. Like, <laughs> yeah. well, I see more than that, but. I get it. I get it. But also, mm-hmm. you need more than that. Um, on January 5th, 1974, he attacks jo- uh, Joni Lenz in Seattle. She survives. Um, okay, so it's about to get pretty awful. So take a sip or two of your coffee. Yeah. Maybe even grab a second cup because here come the murders. Also, I should talk about what Stephanie Brooks looks like just briefly. She's beautiful with brown hair that's often straight and parted down the middle. And that's important. Because that's what a lot of his victims look like. Thanks. Thanks. You've got bangs. Oh, yeah. Thanks. Thanks. You've got bangs. Like, you're I, fine. I, it's me. You're, yeah. no, you're, no, you're, right. you're right. You're right. I have bangs, bangs now. Bangs. You got bangs. The bangs now. saved my life. Some yeah. of them had bangs. What? No, I'm kidding. Oh, some bangs oh. saved my life tonight. <laughs> Thank you, bangs. It should be known that Amanda just spit out her coffee. I'm so sorry. I don't know. Because if I was spit it, it was going to be at the microphone or at the computer. I know. You're like, there's nowhere to go. Internal spitting. Internal spitting. Amanda's, okay. don't die. I'm not dead. <laughs> oh no, now I'm killing you're you. The oh, no, you're the murderer. I was going to say, please do a you're podcast. You're the comedy murderer. Do a yeah. podcast and avenge me. Avenge you. <laughs> but I'll Did you guys hear about it. that time Brenna killed someone by laughing? Uh, hey, oh. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to represent myself in this podcast. <laughs> we already know that Brenna's the Zodiac killer. We yeah, went yeah, over yeah, this right. in a previ- did, did, previous episode. Yeah, and then I looked over and saw that. Oh, yeah. Oh, those are just yep. my Zodiac Killer boots. Uh-huh. Yeah. We just I just happen to look over, and she's got a pair of boots that say Zodiac. Zodiac. They're just big, dumb, pink cowboy boots. Yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> sure, Brenna. Sure, 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 sure. So, truthfully, no one really knows when Ted started killing. He never made any huge deathbed confessions to unknown murders. He never hinted to his true timeline during interviews. It's all speculation. Really? Mm-hmm. So, um, Anne Rule and Detective Robert D. Kempel would say that he possibly started killing as a kid in his teens. There was a case about an eight-year-old who went missing in Tacoma, who lived near Ted, and her name was Anne Marie Burr. Ted would have been 14 when she disappeared. He never attempted, uh, he never admitted to anything involving her murder, but there were a few things that pointed to him, but nothing of major value. He jumped around, uh with uh, his original origin story and when it started. He told his lawyer that he first attempted to kidnap in 1969. He told Detective Kempel that his first murder was in 1972. He did, though, have a special place that he buried everybody. He would often go and revisit his victims and perform sexual acts to their corpses. Cool. Mm. Summer of love. Throughout his life, he was fascinated with sex and violence. Um, he said in prison, in a prison interview that he would get detective magazines and books and look for the images of dead bodies and anything that was sexually violent. So that's fun. Uh, but let's talk about some murder, shall we? Okay. I mean, I guess that's why we're here, right? That's yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. First, to stick to this timeline of possible things, there, uh, though he's only suspected of these ones, I still wanted to talk about them. So, our first one is Anne Marie Burr. So she was eight years old when she disappeared from her home in Tacoma on August 31st, 1961. There was a massive search for her, but basically zero evidence to help point them in the correct direction. There was supposedly an interview that Ted did with Dr. Ronald Holmes while in prison, so it was about 20 years later, where he went into detail about an eight-year-old girl he kidnapped and murdered in an orchard. It was even said that he named Anne-Marie Burr as that girl, but there is no official record of it. Mm. So it's just what Dr. Holmes said and what Ted said publicly. And there was a letter that Ted wrote to her mom saying that he did not murder her. Dear Beverly, thank you for your letter on May 30th. I can certainly understand you doing everything you can to find your daughter. Unfortunately, you have been misled by what can only be called rumors about me. The best thing I can do for you is to correct these rumors, these falsehoods. First and foremost, I do not know what happened to your daughter, Anne-Marie. I had nothing to do with her disappearance. You said she disappeared August 31st, 1961. At that time, I was a normal 14-year-old boy. I did not wander the streets late at night. I did not steal cars. I had absolutely no desire to harm anyone. I was just an average kid. For your sake, you really must understand this. 
Again, and finally, I did not abduct your daughter. I had nothing to do with her disappearance. If there is still something you wish to ask me about this, please don't hesitate to write again. God bless you and be with you. Peace, Ted. Peace. Peace. So it still remains an open case over, what, six decades later. Um, everyone has now passed that was looking into this case. Um, there was even a bit of an Anastasia moment. A girl had come forward claiming that she was Anne-Marie, but later after DNA was tested, it wasn't her. She even spoke about memories that would have been true for Anne-Marie. And then I... Like, thinking about her mom and how heartbreaking that would have been to have this woman come into your life who, like, knows stuff mm -hmm. and, like, says things that are true, but then the DNA doesn't match. It's just really sad. Yeah, that's messed up to do to someone, someone yeah. who's grieving like that. Yeah. Yeah, I hope that lady's okay. Not the mom, but the other one. Because yeah. that made me wonder, like, what happened to you that you believe if this is, if you just right, are someone yeah. that believes this, this actually thing. is you? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Where'd your life go? Yeah, what yeah. happened? I know that there's some people that report that they that they have memories of past lives and stuff. I was going to bring that up. There was yeah. an uh, Ashley Flowers um, podcast episode. I can't remember what it was called, but it's the Supernatural. Supernatural, but I can't remember the episode name. But she talks about a little girl who like has vivid memories of this woman who passed away. Mm -hmm. I think it was in India. But I kind of thought about that too. Like, well, maybe it is. Like, she just mm -hmm. has these memories because she's, but who knows? Who knows? Yeah, but the art there is a, an article that I read about Anne Marie Burr, and I included it in the show notes, so I encourage you to give it a look. There's some pictures and stuff on there too. Um, next is a suspected case. Uh, next in the suspected cases, we have Lonnie Tumble, Turnbull, and her roommate Lisa Wick. Now this comes from a very neat piece I read on the Morbid Library. It's also linked in the show notes. So Lonnie was born in 1946 and was only 20 years old when she was murdered. She was a newly graduated flight attendant and was just starting that new chapter of her life. She was living with two other flight attendants, Lisa and Joyce. And on June 23rd in 1966, Lonnie and Lisa were at home in their apartment when someone came in and attacked them, leaving Lonnie dead and Lisa severely injured. They were both beaten with a blunt object in their beds while they were asleep. The authorities believed that it was around midnight because a neighbor reported seeing a car speed off around 12.15 a.m. It wasn't until Joyce came home in the morning that the attack was reported. She didn't come home until 9.30 a.m. Oh yeah, and she walked into a bloodbath that was their bedrooms. The front door was unlocked, the lights had been left on, and she walked into dead silence before she discovered the bloody bodies in their rooms. Yeesh. The walls were splattered with large amounts of blood, and their pillows were just drenched and dyed deep red. She ran out of the apartment to seek help, and once the police arrived, they realized that Lisa was still alive, and they rushed her to the hospital. Lonnie, however, was already dead. After the autopsies of Lonnie and the physical exam of Lisa, it was reported that neither woman had been sexually assaulted, which was one of Ted's signatures, so that didn't happen. Um, the apartment had no real clues left behind, no sign of forced entry, so the unlocked door was a mystery. Did someone forget to lock it? Was it just a terrible door? There were fingerprints and even a palm print left at the site by the suspect, but no way to match it to anyone. Mm. The murder weapon was discovered to be a piece of wood that was one and a half feet long and it was stained with the women's blood. Nothing was missing from their place, not even a personal item that they could tell, so no trophy was taken, or maybe they didn't even think to look for one at the mm. time. Regardless, robbery as a motive was taken off the list. They thought maybe it was someone the girls who, like, who they knew and they possibly just turned on them. They questioned hundreds of suspects and even busted out the good old piece of garbage polygraph test and nothing came up. Uh, Lisa was able to kind of gain some memory back and she told the police what the person looked like. The sketch was created, and I gotta say, it doesn't look like Ted to me, but what do I know? It's because it was their roommate who wasn't home, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> How old was he? At the time? At this time? I'm just, I'm, I guess I'm trying to listen to all the possible ones and, like, put together, like, the... the gradual like how old like, was he when he sorry I don't want to no no no, no, no just, you're fine I just had those thoughts of like okay so if he was like 14 and then he does the next one at like 19 but it's like more like what did he do in between you know my yeah. brain goes like how does it how do you progress, progress? yeah mm -hmm. so why is Ted a possible suspect mm. he was 19 at this time and it was Detective Kemple who started to piece these things together as a possibility it sounds a lot like a murder I'm going to talk about later. And if you know which one I'm talking about, listeners, ladies, don't say anything for spoilies because okay. when I talk about the murder later, you'll be like, oh my God, and I'll like bring it back. Um, there is a lot of doubt, though, that Ted was involved in this particular crime. His prints didn't match later on, but 
it was also not a secure crime scene, so evidence could have been tampered with. Um, this is another one that we just simply will never know for sure. It's not one he talked about. He didn't confess to any of these things. Mm. Um, if you know anything about this case, there was a number listed to contact. Tips can be submitted to Crime Stoppers of Puget Sound. Puget I think it's Sound. Puget. Puget Sound. Ted Nugent. <laughs> <laughs> uh, covering the greater of the Seattle area by calling. 800-222-8477. It's still unsolved and anything could possibly help. This is a cold case that's still waiting for justice. Um, but moving back onto our timeline of known instances. Wait, wait. Oh, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Sorry, I have my hand up. I have a question. Uh-huh. What? Uh, hmm. Okay. Because I know the other one you're talking about, and I'm not going to say anything, but uh-huh. I know uh-huh. and yeah. my brain went, oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Did... When did he find out about the other one? Was that, like, way later, or did this give him the idea for... Th- in his 30s. Okay, okay. Because it was one of the, <laughs> one of the last things that I'm he did. I'm trying to make it put I everything know. together. I know, but it also is a common thing that he does with other victims, too. But one that it particularly reminded me of is one of the last ones. But it's a common thing with him beating See, it's funny. And- I'm, I'm just watching you two talk about it, and I'm like, wow. Wow, I don't know what's going on. (laughs) Now I don't even know if Nicole and I are talking about the same one because there's been so many. Okay, anyway. There have been so many. I'm so excited. Keep going. Um, Okay, so uh, moving back onto our timeline of known instances. Back in 1973, uh, there were some handcuffs discovered in the back of Bundy's trusty bug. A few of Bundy's Republican Party friends happened upon them. But that's a story I'd like to hear about, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah, we were just goofing around in Ted's car and found these handcuffs. Yeah. <laughs> like, why were you in Ted's Weird. car? It was like, those are for my penis. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> are those, oh, wait, or were they child size? Yeah, they were, were child, they child size. size. Were they child size handcuffs? Because I must know. So in 1973, Ted was the prime suspect in that Kathy Devine's murder. But like I mentioned earlier, in 2002, that was all overturned when DNA evidence proved otherwise. So the first known victims of Ted Bundy started in 1974, and he was 27 years old. Mm. Now this Forever has been a 27. lot. Forever 27. <laughs> yeah. This has been a lot, and there is so much more to talk about. My friends, my beans, go do some yoga and prep a new filter with your favorite coffee, for this story is far from over. But for this Monday, it is time to finish our coffees. And as we do this, ladies, any final sips? final sip is you're gonna make us stop here <laughs> i am <laughs> my final sip is that nicole is a masochist <laughs> and i she's a meanie peepee head meanie and <laughs> she tells you great stories <laughs> and then she leaves you hanging that's uh, all <laughs> i think i think this this final sip is pretty similar to uh have you guys heard of billy uh Fuck is his crazy ass name? Billy McFarland. I feel like I have. He's yes. the guy that ran the fire festival. Oh yes. Oh yes. Okay, so yes. Yeah, I a saw lot that. of the stuff that I'm hearing so far about Ted is also with Billy. And so I'm gonna go back on the thing that I said earlier, which was um peep there are people out there that will use every single and manipulate every single person that they're around. Um, it's not you, it's like you were not an asshole or a, or a, you know, you are no less of a person because you allowed that person to manipulate you and get, take advantage of you. Um, they do that to everybody. So like you are, you know, safe and your val- your feelings are valid and you're not crazy. And anytime, if you have right now, if you're sitting in a moment where you're like, I feel like I'm being gaslit. I feel like I'm not, like, something's wrong. Like, follow your gut. Trust your gut. Talk to your friends. Like, you know, get yourself, like, acclimated. You are most likely not wrong. Like, if you feel a weird feeling or if someone's manipulating you or, you know, if you're in a bad way, like, you have support out there. Mm-hmm. I think that's where I'm going to get. That's that's my final sip is, oh. like, there are people out there that manipulate everybody they're around that's not your fault, and that's Mm-mm. not your responsibility to change them either. Right. What you can do is just do what's good for you and get the fuck out of there, and yeah, so I get it. That's Hell all. yeah. Mm-hmm. That's I a great like final that. sip. That makes me think of the dating game killer, too, when she was like, um, no, <laughs> he yeah. wins the yeah. thing, and she's like, no, yeah, thank pass. you. No, yeah. thank you. On TV, yes, but behind the scenes, go, go away. away. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, yeah, I love that final sip. Um, that's a, a lot of what I think, too. Um, but I also am going to say for my final sip, go get The Stranger Beside Me by Anne Rule. 
and read it because it's so good. And uh, rule, not a sponsor. And rule, not a sponsor. <laughs> Yet. I'm kidding. <laughs> but soon to be a best friend. Yeah, uh, yes. I just want to be your friend. Uh, and will do you want to be brothers? Yeah, do you want to be brothers? brothers? <laughs> hey, Anne, you want to be brothers? Hey, Anne, you want to be brothers? So next Monday, we dive into the first part of the 30-plus victims of Ted Bundy. We are so excited about October, and we have more tricks and treats headed your way. Mm. So keep your third eye peeled, for there are more surprises coming. Thank you so much for joining us on Morning Meldells. Morning Meldells. Meldells. Spooky. For Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> Have a murder you like to talk about over coffee? We would love to hear about it. Email us at morningmurders at gmail.com. Thank you for listening to Morning Murders. In today's show notes, you can find our cited research as well as a few of our favorite mental health resources. This is the year of the witch, man. Like, yeah. this is the season this where that's the a thing. Witch. Although I was going to throw a corset over it, which I'm not going to do if I'm going to sing in it. But that's fine. Like, if you guys are all witches You could be the wizard. Wicked Witch of the West. Is it? I'm just green like, with green. you guys. <laughs> and we're just like normal ass witches. Yeah, I'm just completely green. I was like, I Give me one of the Sanderson sisters. Who said that to me the other day? Someone told me, ah, fuck. Just one Someone of them. the other day was like, you guys really need to do the Sanderson sisters. Where do you go, my lovely? I wanna know. Oh God, I'm so sorry. It's okay. We don't know Jesus, Amanda. Jesus, Amanda. 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 Amanda, Amanda. 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 Oh, they're saying Amanda. 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 Running on tile. <laughs> Running on tile. Oh, no. Next, skip two. All right. Sprint. <laughs> Run Did you guys know that Brennan was a Foley operator? Yes, <laughs> you guys didn't know. She makes all the sound effects. Um. excited to hear your take on it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You looking forward to this. I love I've been looking forward to this for so long. Oh my god. I love watching my friends talk about shit they know. That they're passionate about. Yeah. I'm like. I'm excited. Yay. Oh gosh. Alright. Alright. Is everyone ready? Is everyone feeling good? Are we ready? Do we feel good? Do we need. I know. Do we need anything? You can. No one's gonna come in here. Take your shirt off. Yeah baby. Alright. Yeah, go for it. Get comfy. If I had a bra on, I would also do my Just naked. Yeah. Cool. All glorious. Nicole, 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 Oh my god. Oh, you guys. Okay.